This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Today, as we are early in the new year, I want to talk about the subject of who are you in Christ and why does it matter? So number one, you are made in the image of God. Genesis, the first chapter, talks about this starting in the 26th verse. And so God said, let us make man in our image. And he's talking about the Godhead, us, meaning God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and man, meaning both man and woman, made in God's image. When you are made in God's image, you have a unique ability to commune with God on a unique level from all the other creatures in the creation. We have an intelligence that God has given us that is a creative intelligence to build in some ways similar to how God creates and builds. We also have a spirit, and it's by that spirit that we commune with God. God said to us that he's looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. So when God created us, male and female, He gave us that ability to interact with him in a unique way. This is really important because in our world today, our children in schools are being taught that they're no different from the animals and from the other parts of God's creation. And that is just not true. We are beyond the animals. God has given us something different and extra Then he gave plants and animals. Now, are plants important and animals important? Absolutely. And so is man. Man is God's crowning glory in terms of what he has created here on the earth. So number one, remember that you are made in the image of God, which gives you the ability to live in a way that's beyond what the animals do. And we want to remind our children, we want to remind those in the workplace that we have this God-given image, which gives us the privilege to live on a higher plane. And we want to exercise that right and privilege. Number two, at the same time that God said he had made man in his image, he also said that men meaning men and women, are called to have dominion over the earth. Now, what this means is that the earth has been created and made and everything on it, it's for our benefit. The animals are here for our benefit. The plants are here for our benefit. And we've been given the job to take care of it, to be a steward over God's creation. And when it says to have dominion over the earth, It is to take charge of it, take charge of what's going on down here. God has given us all things 
to enjoy on his earth. And I think in today's world, sometimes we see a reversal of what God has intended and planned. He intended and planned that man would not be wasteful in how he uses what's been provided or even mean-spirited. If you look at the first covenant of God, lots of laws were in place that were to protect animals and people and all of God's creation, even the rotation of the crops. When you think about plant life, God thought of everything in terms of how we're to operate here. At the same time, it wasn't that man was supposed to be subordinate to a tree or to a plant or to an animal. Rather, we were to steward what he'd given us for our benefit. So we know that at certain point, not initially in Genesis, because the animal population had to grow. However, later he did give man the right and responsibility to consume animals as food. We were growing plants as food and everything else on this earth was for our use. And now in our world, as we're thinking about climate change and many other issues, it almost seems that some people have it reversed and they think that we are here and that the plants and the animals have priority over us. And people are in their homes starving and freezing and we're not willing to use the fuel that God has provided. So we want to think about that. This may not make a lot of sense. God has put us in charge to have dominion. And as I said, not in a mean-spirited way, but to be good stewards of the creation, just as he is a good steward of the creation as well. So we are to be like God as we take care of what God has created. So that's number two. Number three, you are, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And Psalm 139 talks about this, talks about the fact that we've been specially designed. And even from our mother's wombs, God has skillfully wrought us, put us together. He's made us marvelous. Marvelous are his works. And even all the days for us are ordained before even one of them has come to be. So this means that even as we are fearfully and wonderfully made, God has plans and purposes for us that he's ordained even before we're even born into the world. John the Baptist had a purpose before he even got here. Jesus had a purpose before his incarnation on the earth. And many others, God told their parents what they would be and what he had planned for them before they even got here. And the same is true for all of us. He has a plan, whether it's been announced to our parents or not. We know that we've been specially designed, specially ordained, skillfully wrought, and because we're fearfully and wonderfully made, keep in mind, we can't improve on God's design. What we can do is work with God's design. We can connect with God's design, and we can give God's design what it needs to flourish here on this earth. 
when humans begin to tamper and interfere with God's plan, then his design doesn't work as well as it's supposed to. So, for example, we find that even with genetically modified foods and all the things that we're introducing into the world today, this is leading to many illnesses and all kinds of ways that the body doesn't function as well as it's supposed to function. We also find that our reliance on drugs and the pharmaceuticals also is interfering with God's design. God has made us so that our immune systems function a certain way. They interact with our environment to protect us. And it's not to say that there's no role for pharmaceuticals. Of course there is. God has allowed us that intelligence again to come alongside what he has created, not to make that the central point, rather to make it a point that facilitates what he's already created. And if we facilitate and if we come alongside what he's created, we will remain in health. On the other hand, if we try to supersede what God has done and we try to take that over, we become poisoned and we also become prey to various addictions in our lives as well. And we find that so many people are addicted to drugs, whether legal or illegal. And some of it is because of our emphasis on a pharmaceutical way of living, as opposed to a God way of living, where pharmaceuticals may have a role, but they are not the central role. Keep in mind that when we get in the way of what God has already created, it becomes a mess. And an example of this is Satan himself. Satan decided that he wanted to be like God. He wanted to receive the glory of God. And so when he put himself in the place of God, he ultimately got thrown out of heaven and he was assigned a permanent place in hell, although not yet manifested, is coming. So there were consequences to him living outside of the plan that God had ordained for him. And he had a beautiful plan. God gave him a key role as an angel of light, and he chose to use it in a way that was against God's plan. And he took God's authority into his own hands. Likewise, back in the Bible days, we find that there were those who built the Tower of Babel, and they wanted to build this tower to heaven. They wanted to determine how to get to God their way themselves. And God was not pleased with their plan, and so he confused the languages and had them all speaking different languages so they could no longer cooperate in the way that they wanted to. And he stopped this, this man-made tower that was outside of his will. So we have to constantly look at what we're doing. Are we doing things that are within the will of God? Because who we are in God is we are fearfully and wonderfully made in him for his purpose. He does not intend that we take what he's created and use it for a purpose that he has not ordained. We are also, you are also God's child, his son 
or daughter. That means God is the supreme over everything. God and his son he's given as the king of all, the king of kings. So we are the sons and daughters of the king. We're part of God's royal family. And as part of God's royal family, we have access to all the royal treasures of God. And having access to all of those royal treasures, and particularly in the spiritual sense, we are co-inheritors of all of God's estate, both for us living here now while we're on the earth, and later when we go to our heavenly home that is prepared for us. So while we are here on the earth as God's sons and daughters, we are ambassadors in this world from God's heavenly kingdom. We belong to his heavenly kingdom, yet we are here as ambassadors on this earth. And as ambassadors here, he has gifted each one of us with at least one, and in many cases, more than one spiritual gift that we can benefit the body of Christ with while we're living on this earth. So even though this earth is not our permanent home, we are here temporarily and we have gifts to share while we're here. And we're here to point the way to the kingdom from which we really come, which is a heavenly kingdom that's not here on this earth plane. So as a son or daughter of the king, you have much to share with those around you. Which brings me to number five. We are part of God's royal priesthood as the sons and daughters of the king. And, you know, typically in a first covenant sense, you would not be both a priest and a king. However, in a new covenant sense, we are part of the king's family, and we're also part of the family of the priest. So as a member of the royal priesthood, we participate in God's ministry of reconciliation as he's reconciling people back to himself, calling them to a profound relationship with him. Because through sin in the garden with Adam and Eve, we were separated from God, yet his ministry of reconciliation is such that we have a pathway back to God. And as members of the royal priesthood, we have direct access to God the Father. We no longer have to go through an earthly priest, as was the case in the first covenant. So when Jesus died on the cross and the veil of the temple was torn opening up the Holy of Holies, we then now are able to enter the Holy of Holies through prayer to God directly, which means that in our workplaces, we can intercede for other people, people who are in need of prayer, people who have circumstances and situations where God's power is necessary. So God has empowered us because we are abiding in the vine, his Messiah. And through us, we have the sustenance we need, the power we need for daily living, 
and we have all power that's required. And as ministers of reconciliation, we have direct access to God the Father through Jesus Christ, the mediator, the Son who died that we would have that direct access. And not just died, he also rose again. That part's important. Anyone can die. Not everyone dies and rises again. So that's the aspect. So yes, we are part of God's royal priesthood. And then number six, we are light and salt and a city set on a hill. That's who you are in this world, which means you are visible for God. The scriptures say you don't light a lampstand and then hide it under a bushel. A city that's set on a hill, you can see it. So we are here to be visible for God, to be an influence for God, meaning wherever we go, we flavor the environment where we are with a God flavor. We preserve like salt preserves that which is good. And we are the antidote to darkness in the world because as Jesus is the light, we too are light bearers. We reflect the light of the Messiah because we get that light from him. We are ordained here to be visible and to have an impact as light and salt in a city set on a hill. And seven, I would say this, and it's such an important aspect. We are loved and beloved of God. That is huge. And we love God because he first loved us. And he loved us so we would know what love is like, that we could then love our brothers and sisters and love each other. And Jesus said they will know that we are Christians by the love that we have for one another. And Jesus also said even pagan people can love their friends. That's not the real test. He's also called us to love those who would be enemies as well. Loving our enemies is definitely a heavenly <laughs> ability. It's not something that we have in our earthly strength. And so through that love, God invites us to also invite others to the banquet feast, the banquet feast of the Lamb, the marriage feast of the Lamb, which will take place when the son receives the bride, which is the church that will then come to a permanent home in the heavenlies. This is such an important part of who we are being loved and be loved. We cannot carry out the other aspects of our commission here on this earth without that infusion of love from God. So when you think about all that you are and who you are in Christ, and I want to mention it again, number one, you are made in the image of God. Number two, you're called to have dominion over the earth. God has set us here as stewards, as caretakers of the earth. Three, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Number four, we are God's sons and daughters. Number five, we are part of God's royal priesthood. So we're 
sons and daughters of the king, and were also priests as well. And then number six, were light, salt, and the city set on the hill to be visible for God in our world, and we are loved and beloved. So what does this mean at work? At work, it means that you are God's ambassador. You are God's priest. You are God's minister of reconciliation to love other people in the workplace, to make work a sacred responsibility because God works. We also work. And work does not have to be evil. We can bring love to the workplace caring for other people. And it's part of the reason that we are there is to reflect his glory, to shine his light, to show there's a better way to do the things that we're called to do. We're bringing the message of love and joy and peace and hope in the Messiah of God into the workplace. And when we're working in workplaces that are involved in things such as elevating animals and plants over people or genetically modified foods or elevating pharmaceuticals and drugs over the natural substances that God has already provided, you are in that workplace to show a better way. Nothing wrong with working for a pharmaceutical organization. We need pharmaceuticals, yet they need to be in their proper perspective. Great if you work for an organization that produces food. Be part of research of how to make the food healthier and to work with the bodies that God has wonderfully created for us already. We're also in the workplace to reconcile others to God and to his love. Many are searching for God and don't know it. And you are there as an ambassador of light and salt and the city set on the hill again to invite others to the marriage feast of the Lamb, to intercede for others as a priest of God through prayer for whatever their needs may be, personal, work-wise, or otherwise, in these lives here on the earth. And so I want to read today from 1 John, the fourth chapter, starting in verse 17. And it says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So because God first loved us, we love him. And because we have that love relationship with God, we can walk in boldness knowing that this love of God, this perfect love, cast out all fear. We can love those who are enemies. We can walk boldly on the earth, making a difference, knowing that his love has been perfected among us. And that's a beautiful way to live our lives. So as you live and begin in this new year, 
walk in the love of God, walk in all that he's created you to be. You are his beloved representative on the earth. You are his beloved ambassador and minister of reconciliation. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.